Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 32. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton-Boxborough Regional High School. Each episode on Life at School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This episode, I sit down with Kevin English. Kevin is a science teacher at Perrysburg High School in Perrysburg, Ohio. Kevin is a teacher of AP Biology. He also serves as a chair of the high school science department and is an advisor to student council. In 2009, he was named the Northwest Ohio Environmental Educator of the Year for his work bringing native wetland ecosystems to to his high school campus. Outside of Perrysburg, Kevin is the National Association of Biology Teacher Region 3 Coordinator. You can follow Kevin's musings about teaching and mostly baseball on Twitter at KevinMEnglish25. Welcome, Kevin. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I'm here. I appreciate you taking the time and talking with me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, and I, I feel I feel bad about the shortened bio because um, I know that there's like a lot of other accolades I could have thrown in there because um, I, <laughs> I know you've you've racked up a lot of other uh, a lot of other uh, accolades and, and credentials and things like that throughout. But uh, uh, I'm hoping we touch upon a few different of those as we uh, as we dive through in, in our conversation. Absolutely, I don't want to put people to sleep right away. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I I have been noting that my intros have been getting a little long, um, <laughs> but at the same time, I I like to. I like to talk about all of the accomplishments people have. So, um, uh, yeah, and uh, it's interesting we're talking here. Uh, you know, this is going to come out in early October, and maybe in early October we're not going to be speaking each to each other. You know, with uh, the Indians and uh, the Red Sox going at it. Um, That's right. Even though I think the Red Sox are a uh, they are a maddening team, and at times are very unlikable. I'm, just, you know. <laughs> I think they're the team I'm worried about the most. Yeah. So. Indians yeah. have struggled with them. Yeah, the Red Sox are the team I worry about the most too. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe when this comes out, we'll we'll be a, not on speaking terms. But uh, but uh, so it's all all the best that we're speaking now. Uh, you you guys are all clinched. I think our magic number is still like three or something, but they are definitely in the playoffs. So. Uh, We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's let's get into it. Um, how did you become a, a science teacher? What brought you into the classroom? Yeah, really, it was it was a love for helping people. Um, when I was in school, I had some teachers that, uh, and I think there's probably a similar story to a lot of other people. Um, a lot of teachers that really kind of went out of their way and helped me and helped me. Um, succeed in school. And it was kind of a way to maybe, you know, pay back to them, but pay forward to future students. And I just really liked working with people. And um, I also just really had a passion for biology. I absolutely loved taking my biology classes in high school. I decided to pursue that. And I didn't really want to do the research side of things in biology. Mm -hmm. uh, I really felt just a closer knack to be able to, to teach it and uh, to be able to help people that way. Um, so it was really kind of a combination of the love for biology, helping people, um, working with teenagers, those sorts of things. It just was a good combination of what, what I liked best. And um, I was very fortunate when I graduated from Bowling Green State University. Uh, I was hired at Perrysburg High School right away and uh, been there ever since. Uh, 23 years later, um, it's, it's just been great. It's been an awesome career. 
Um, certainly it's had its stressors and ups and downs like any other career would, but it's just been a great, great uh, career to have and uh, a nice family um, family atmosphere that we have in the school, which is great too. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that now you, you know, you wear the hat of the department chair and you also do AP, but you've obviously had a longer road to do that um, in there. So like, um, how long have you been teaching AP? Like, when did you come into that course? Yeah, it was, we, I started it in 2008. It didn't exist at our high school before then. Um, so I began that course in 2008 and then went through the revision, of course, in 2012 and so on. Um, so I've been teaching that then for close to 10 years now. Yeah. And I was hired in to teach microbiology. Um, oh. So I thought that for a while. It was a semester course. I really just kind of copied what we did at BG <laughs> and kind of taught it you know, at the high school level. Um, we've got an autoclave and all that stuff, so it's, it's pretty good. And uh, I created an ecology course as well along the way and wrote the curriculum for that. So, so those are some of the different courses I've taught, but the AP has been going on close to 10 years, and I absolutely love teaching that class. Yeah. And I love the framework um, and, and how, it, how it all flows. It's great. Yeah, particularly since the revision. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> I bet you those first five years weren't as nearly as much fun. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the race through the, the race through Campbell. Um, yes. <laughs> I used to like to, to call that. So, yeah, no doubt. so you mentioned the ecology course and I, I easily could talk to you about the micro course because I'm super fascinated by the concept of uh, teaching micro. I've occasionally get ab- accused of uh, teaching just microbiology and calling it AP biology. But um, but I am curious about the ecology course because I know that you had that uh, native wetlands project that you worked on. Um, and, and that that was like, I guess, right before you started the AP course. So that would have been probably with your ecology group. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how, I, how, how did that process go about? What, what was involved with that process of bringing wetlands onto onto a school campus? Yeah. Well, we built the new high school in 2001, okay. and I was at that time, I was really kind of hoping that they would build in some kind of nature area on the campus, and it didn't really happen, but we did have a retention area, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. and it couldn't be used for you know sports or anything like that or whatever, so um, after a few years of teaching that ecology class, I finally went to the principal. We'd, we'd went on a field trip to another school to talk about an enrichment schedule, which we could talk about that if we mm. want to later, um, about block scheduling, modified schedules and things like that. But when I went to that school, they had a real nice natural campus. I mean, they had hiking trails, things like that. And I said, you know, on the drive back, I was talking to the principal. I said, you know, we need to do this. And um, I said, okay, well, let me know how I can help. And so it basically fell on me. Um, and so I just kind of called the Soil and Conservation District uh, in, our, in Wood County here near Perrysburg. Um, I called the Wood County Park District and an asphalt company that always had the school contract and said, you know, I'm looking for donations. Is there any way that we can kind of dig an area out? So, so forth. So after talking to them, they said they could draw up blueprints. Um, they could dig it out. So, and so forth. They had a few restrictions for me. Bottom line, I had a contest with my students <laughs> to kind of design a wetlands area. And I let the students kind of vote on the winning design and, and then I, they drew up the blueprints, uh, took it from there. Um, they started digging, and I had plant species brought in from the parks and things like that. Um, so we kind of got that going. And I would say it was probably about $10,000 worth of work wow. um, or donations uh, that they gave us. 
and it's just taken off and it's just been a great outdoor learning lab for the students. And we've tried to attract our elementary schools and middle school, you know, things that come out and do some you know, water quality surveying or macroinvertebrate sampling, things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the place has just taken off over the years. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm curious about, um, I, you've, you've sparked like so many thoughts in my head, but so you, because you saw this wetland start up, um, are, I'm curious, are you guys doing any longitudinal documentation? Um, are students working on uh, things like that? Or is it now that it's, you know, you now that you've had established, you, do you have any things like, uh, you know, I don't know if bud burst is appropriate for a wetland, but like what kind of things are you doing with the students out in that space, I guess is what I'm curious yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Oh, I, I wish, in hindsight, I wish I would have done some longitudinal studies and and try to track maybe water levels and mm-hmm. uh, you know oxygen, you know, dissolved oxygen and, and, and all kinds of different things. And it, it gives me a good idea. I might actually have to start <laughs> something like that up. Um, but mostly, what we've done is we've learned a little bit about maintaining the area. Um, we've get invasives that move in, and you have to kind of. I've got a lot of cattails that are there. Um, but we get some Phragmites and purple loosestrife and things moving in. So we try to maintain that stuff and get rid of it. Um, so I teach them a little about managing that kind of an area. We had a bunch of different plant species in, so I helped identify those. And But mostly what we do is really the macroinvertebrate surveying. So we go out there with staining nets every spring and spend two or three days out there and let the kids kind of scoop up samples and identify everything and kind of determine the health of the water just based on what we find. Um, and it varies a little bit year to year. Um, uh, some years where it, it's kind of built to be like a three season wetlands area. So mm-hmm. it can dry up in the summertime. Hmm. But some years it doesn't. It just kind of varies on how much rainfall we have. So some years you have bullfrog tadpoles that are there uh, because those take two years to metamorphose. And other years you can't find any because it dried up in the summertime and they all died or got eaten or whatever. Um, so it's interesting how year to year, you know, some of the different species are dominant some years, some not the next year. It varies a little bit. Um, so that's been kind of interesting, too, to kind of see some of those changes. And we've had fish in there, too, sometimes. Wow. And uh, I, the only there's a little bit of an area where it could backflow from across the street. Uh, so I think some fish come in that way. But I also think that they just come in, you know, the eggs come in. On, we've had great blue heron out there and egrets and oh, uh, waterfowl and things. So I think some of the eggs get trapped in their feathers and come in the water that way. And yeah. So we found some fish out there every now and then too. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, I I don't know. If you, you don't hear John Darko in your ear going patterns, <laughs> patterns, You're patterns, right. patterns. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's no as you're talking about that. I'm thinking like, what's the pattern? What's the pattern over those years? But um, yeah, I, I b- before we got on, I had mentioned today. You know, we, we have a hot day today, but I had. Um, towards the end of my ecology unit with my honors bio students and I had them out on our nature trail and we do have a nature trail. Um, and, uh, I, am curious about like, as you're talking about the invasives and that sort of thing, we definitely have some invasives on our campus. Um, we have a sort of ad hoc nature trail. Uh, the biggest thing that we've had as an issue, um, we've been fortunate that our wetlands have not, the purple loosestrife haven't been able to get in there. We have cattail and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, we have a hemlock grove and it's been completely decimated by Woolly Adelgid, the Helmlock Woolly Adelgid over the last, you know, five to 10 years to the point where huh. now, like if you would have gone in there and now I like I tell, talk out to the students and similar, you know, I, I suggested the idea of documentation and it's for me, it's just anecdotal because I've been taking kids out now, you know, this is my 18th year at the high school. So I've been taking the kids on this same walk 
you know, in September every year um, out there. And I tell them about the what it used to be like, say, 10 years ago, when you'd walk into this hemlock grove and you'd feel the temperature drop and you'd have this really dense canopy. And now because the hemlocks are all dying, um, now there's actually a, a touch me nuts um, in okay. in the hemlock grove up near where the water is there there was wow. never the canopy was always so dense there was there's no way that there was going to be there but now because yeah. we have a wetland area that's before and we have a, um, a red maple swamp that's afterwards and so the red maple swamp the understory of that's completely do- dominated by um uh the the the, the spotted touch me knots um that are there and it's a really kind of cool thing and it's skunk cabbage in the spring and then out in the fall mm-hmm. it's 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 these um these really cool uh flowers and um, but now they're extending their range as the canopy is thinning out because of the death of the hemlocks. Now you've got these stands mm-hmm. of these, you know, wetland or like slightly wet soil area. You know, really the marsh species is coming in to that area. So like I'm sort of thinking about that as I'm going through and I'm now I'm wondering, like, how do I document this? Like, is there a way to is there a way to document this so that as this change happens or better yet what would be the remediation like now that the hemlocks are dying like what do you do when basically 80 year old hemlocks die and you've got an entire ecosystem that's you know disappearing it's not like a wetland that we could really quickly reestablish or a marsh that we might be able to establish if you like what do you do when something like that happens yeah. so yeah, there's uh, no quick solution to that that's for sure no so it's um it's a curious it, it's a curious note and i definitely had that thought in my head as i was i was walking the kids through and talking about some of the themes of, of this unit but um that's a great resource that you were able to bring to your kids um that are out there i'm curious do you guys have a, a science fair students you know students who do science fairs or extensions as a result of that or like um what do we have around here? We have a couple of like ecology, ecology type competitions or anything of that. Do students ever do anything like that based off of those, uh, the wetlands? No, unfortunately that's one thing that at our school, we're really trying to push that. We're trying to push a research class. And and I think a lot of the teachers that are, would actively do that right now are already busy doing other things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's hard to, you know, find someone who's willing to take that on right now, but We've got a couple younger teachers now too, and maybe in the next few years or something like that, they'll kind of take that task on and see. That'd be great to do. Uh, that's a question I get every year from my students: is, is is there science fair around here? And you know, not one that we participate in. There certainly are some around Northwest Ohio, but yeah. uh, just not one that our kids participate in, unfortunately. Yeah, we do. A, our, we have an ecology group that does the Envirothon. I don't know if a Envirothon is a, is also in Ohio. I'm sure there are Envirothons, but it's uh, it's become a big thing. And our in our environmental science teacher, ecology teacher, has been doing that and does projects similar. You know, has a rain garden and has been working on an outdoor classroom space and and those types of things. And so this conversation that you're having. Um, he actually uses that group to help maintain some of those projects year in, year out, so that when they do create a project like this, it doesn't just fall on the, the classroom teacher. On there, you get the student labor to, you know, in a club setting to, to push through some of that stuff. So um, Yeah, that, that helps. <laughs> yeah, just a couple, of, a couple of ideas to think about as you think about that outdoor space um, in there. So, yeah, it's a great resource. And um, I get a, I, I, I'm kind of racking my brains as I, as I think about, you know, as you do something like that, I think about, you know, our pond, which is kind of like, eh, just, you know, it, our campus is a really interesting history. There used to be a pond close to campus. And then mm-hmm. about 45 years ago or so, when they built part of the building, they 
uh, basically created a man-made pond and they drained all the water from the old pond downward into this new man-made pond. And so now where the pond used to be is a wetland. It's like a drainage ditch wet- wetland with cattails okay. and stuff like that. It's a really nice small, but it's a small wetland. And then that water snakes through again, the hemlock grove and then our red maple swamp and then out to the pond. And as I said, the hemlock grove is kind of toast at this point because the woolly delegate or it's on its way. It's, it's there. I, I don't think we'll have hemlocks in 10 years. Like it's that it's yeah. gotten that bad. Um, the the red maple swamp's doing pretty well. The wetlands is doing pretty well, um, but the the pond is pretty beat up too. It's got full of milfoil. Um, the there's a lot of other invasives. There's a European buckthorn all around the outside, um, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of um, we have a lot of bittersweet vines that are throughout all of those ecosystems that are wrapping themselves. So we have a lot of invasives on campus. So um, talking about even invasive remediation is uh, is an interesting idea. So yes. I'm, I'm curious. I'm It's one of those things to put in the back of my head about how to, you know, as we talk about telling stories to kids, like, hmm, how could we maybe tie some of that storyline in to, to teaching our kids? So definitely yeah. a, lot of, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'm going to shift gears heavily. And we are, as I said, we're this is going to be early October. So you know, in, I, I just booked mine and I know what you just booked yours. Um, we're heading to St. Louis. Um, so we're, it's, it's NABT, uh, conference season. We're getting ready to head out there. Um, but I'm just going there as like, you know, lowly biology teacher, um, <laughs> to roll in and glom on and to, to listen to what other people have to say. But, but you have a bigger role in NABT, um, as a region three coordinator. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what was the process of becoming the region three coordinator for NABT? Yeah, well, this will be my first time as a coordinator. So I'm going to be kind of learning too and figuring out exactly what my role is and, uh, and what I need to do. Um, so it'll be interesting. I really, I can't wait. This is, I'm so excited right now. We've got everything booked. Like you said, we're ready to go. And um, just kind of counting down the days. Um, I, I went to my first one in 2014 mm-hmm. when it was in Cleveland, because it was so close to here. We're about 90 miles west of Cleveland and I grew up in the Cleveland area. So it was kind of going home for me. Um, <clears throat> and that year, that was when, <clears throat> excuse me, that's when Paul Anderson started to tour schools and things like that. Um, so we had him out initially Mm -hmm. and then he and I both went into Cleveland afterwards, uh, with the rest of our biology teachers, um, and, and experienced that. And, and, you know, the first time I went to NABT, I was just amazed at the high quality sessions that they were having. Obviously Paul was doing some of his own. Um, but, um, just the, all the, the variety of sessions you can go to and the things you can do. And it was all biology. You know, it wasn't about school discipline or writing across the curriculum. Or and, and those are important things. But it was nice to just focus just on biology for once and just something that's in my classroom, something I can do in my classroom tomorrow when I get back. Um, so it was pretty cool. Um, it, it really kind of ramped up my collaboration efforts. So around that time, I think, is when I joined Twitter and started to find a lot of other science teachers and collaborate with them online. And then I started a group here locally um, called just kind of called the Northwest Ohio PLC. Mm. Um, so that's where I really started to get to know John Darko and Chris Monsoor. Yeah, I was going to um, say, and, you, you don't have any quality biology teachers kicking around in your area. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was, are you sure you don't live in Tiffin? Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, in fact, I've, I've run into both guys recently at some cross country meets and things like that. But um, it's... 
you know, it was great just to be able to work with them. And we have about maybe 12, 15 people in the group and about eight or nine show up to some of our meetings. And that just really kind of spiraled things for me. So then Chris kind of said, he was the region three coordinator. And he said, you know, I think I'm, I I think I want to break from this for a little while. And so he nominated me (laughs) and that was nice of him to do. He asked me first. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be interested. And so it was really just kind of writing up a bio, kind of describing my history and things like that. Um, and honestly, it was kind of weird because it was a it was an election in the Midwest state, so only people around here saw the ballot. Um, but it was just me and somebody else from Illinois. And like, how do these people know who I am? How do we even know who the other person is? It's just yeah. kind of strange that we don't really know each other. Um, somehow, I managed to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, get, getting my feet wet with everything. I've had a couple sessions where I've talked to. Jackie through um, you know, video hangout, things like that. Uh, um, but I'm still actually kind of waiting to see, okay, what is my role? I, I'll imagine I'm probably introducing some speakers here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely want to be you when I'm there too um, <laughs> and just go to a lot of the sessions and attend and learn just like everybody else. So uh, it'll be good. So. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious about the, the PLC because um, I used to have – uh, a, a network like that, and unfortunately, the group who sponsored it, um, they they lost their funding, and so that the person who worked basically as the teacher outreach, that funding disappeared. So the person who used to pop in and coordinate is not present anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so after that happened, the the group that was meeting just stopped. And so you said you went and started a PLC group. In Northwest, so how did you, how did you have the the wherewithal the, the like what was the what was the I mean I, I'm kind of curious a little bit of the like idea phase, but also the all right so I've started a PLC what does that mean and how do I how do I get people into a room like how did you go about doing that? Yeah, it it took a lot of legwork. I'm not gonna lie, mm-hmm. um, but I think the the beginning of it really was just the the collaboration side of things. After I got involved in NABT. Um, yeah, I also started using a lot of HH My Resources. Mm-hmm. So you may have met Ann Brokaw uh, mm-hmm. at some point with an HH My Workshop. She's in the Cleveland area. So we get together and do things now and then. And she did come out to Perrysburg one time and hold a workshop here. Yeah. Um, and so just kind of networking with other people just really kind of got that bug going for me to really kind of connect with other teachers. And I know that I have, you know, I have some experience now. It's not like I've been teaching AP Bio for 25 years, but I've gone to a couple of really good AP Summer Institutes at Ball State. Those really got the ball rolling for me. Um, and so I, I wanted to start to give back to other people and, mm-hmm. and help. So we've had kind of a variety of people in this group that are some rookies, some experienced people. So basically what I did is I just tried to look at the different schools. I knew a few of the people. Um, but tried to reach out to different schools and send emails and say, I'd like to find out who teaches AP biology at your school. Please send me back with a name and an email address or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just networked through other contacts that I had in the area already just over the years of teaching here. Um, so I ended up getting about, I think it was about 15. So I've sent out one mass email kind of with a flyer mm-hmm. and said, you know, I'd like to start this up. Here's why. Um, we'd like to kind of work through labs together, uh, talk about free responses, preparation for the AP exam, you know, all kinds of different topics and, uh, and really leave it up to them too. Like I didn't really want to be the one running the show. 
and determining what we needed to talk about, what we need to do. I wanted their input from it. Uh, so I really tried to give them ownership to the whole thing. And it really worked out really well. Um, to be honest, in the last year, you know, last fall, uh, I had a, a meeting and uh, two people showed up. Mm -hmm. uh, uh oh, maybe we're starting to fade here <laughs> a little bit. Um, so I kind of let last school year go. And I knew a lot of it was, you know, there, some of them were coaching and other clubs and commitments, things like that. They had, they had reasons for not being there. Um, so I'm going to, I'm about to actually send out an email here in the next week or so to try and get, and we, we kind of decided, I was talking to John and Chris recently and try to get maybe two meetings a year going and, and that's it, you know, it's not huge, not 10 meetings a year or anything like that, but you know, find two times a year we can get together and we just meet in my classroom and kind of work through labs. And so last year we did some labs with yeast spheres mm -hmm. and, you know, learn how to, how to make those and everything. Um, and then John, John brought up some different, uh, class and we kind of hooked up a bunch of electrodes to our bodies and kind of <laughs> tested out all of this and it was kind of kind of fun <laughs> john brought in like some technology and uh <laughs> yeah imagine that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah it's, yeah it's taken off it's pretty good yeah it's it's interesting the way you describe that because i feel like the when the the, the new curriculum came in um, so I was part of that group, as I mentioned, the year before it, the, the new curriculum came in, the attendance of our meetings were really good. Like that, it was mm -hmm. like a pretty packed group. And then we had the the switch over to the new curriculum. And that next year, the, the room was really packed. And then we went through the first exam. And then the next year, the room was pretty packed. And then the numbers started dipping. Like as we got further and further away from the change, Mm -hmm. um, partly because I think sort of what you said, I mean, it's not that these people are, are like just sitting around doing nothing. These are people with busy lives that have other commitments, they have families and that sort of thing. And setting aside time to come and meet is really hard. Uh, Absolutely. I think it was easier to make it a priority when people were really nervous. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but once people felt like there was like, all right, my, my classroom's not on fire. Um, I don't know. The complete unknown of what this thing is. I think the urgency of being connected to that group sort of dropped off a little bit. And when that, yeah. that, that dropped off. Um, yeah. It's, I think that it, it's, it, I think the momentum piece of groups like that is hard. So I'm, uh, I'm hopeful for you that you can dive in. Of course, if you, nothing else happens and it's you and Chris and John hanging out, like <laughs> I'd hang out with those two guys a couple times a year if nobody else shows up. Absolutely. <laughs> I can learn. Those two guys were lifesavers for this group. No doubt. They, they brought a lot of equipment and they, and they would travel. I mean, Tiffin is about an hour and 15 minutes from here. Yeah. So they would drive it over an hour to get here, spend a couple hours doing what we're doing and then driving home. And, and that's a big commitment. So they were lifesavers in that group. That's for sure. Yeah. But you three in a room together is, is not a bad, uh, yeah. it's not a bad start. <laughs> we have some fun. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then the, the other piece about it and you, you're sort of tying into the NABT conference is, um, you know, you had a lot of those sort of notes. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, you're going to go in there and you're definitely wearing this other hat. Um, I guess my question for, for, for people, cause I, I know a lot of teachers don't go to those conferences. Like it's not a, it's not all of the biology teachers in the country who are going to these, these things. And, and I talked to some teachers and they, they don't like, they don't quite get 
why you would go to these things or, you know, what's the the value. So like you're super excited and I'm super excited, but like what's your mindset going in? Like, are you looking for certain things or are there particular things that you're excited about when you're, when you're walking into St. Louis conference? I mean, it's not that you're excited to go to St. Louis. I mean, maybe you are, maybe you're like, you know, you're super excited about going to St. Louis, but um, my guess is it's more about the conference. So what is about the conference you're excited about? Absolutely. So yeah, it's more about the conference, nothing against St. Louis, but um, but definitely networking with the people. I mean, I think um, it's not only the conferences themselves that are, like I said, they're they're high quality. I mean, you go there and you learn about really practical things you can do in your classroom and you can do them in most cases right away. Um, and and the way that the the presenters kind of step you through what they're doing, it just, you can take good notes and just kind of make these good connections and, and feel confident walking out there that I can go do this next week in my own classroom. And the ideas are just spot on. I mean, it, it's all about not only just AP biology, but regular biology. And, and if you are teaching micro or ecology or something else, there's ideas there for those teachers too. Um, so to have all those different presentations going on that are all biology related, it's just, it's biology on steroids for a few <laughs> days. And it's just great. But then also it's, it's networking with the other teachers. I mean, you know, you've mentioned some of these names already. I mean, to sit down with a Ryan Reardon, a Paul Strode, a Lee Ferguson, um, a David Knuffke, and, and so on, and obviously John and Chris and so on, to be able to sit down and kind of pick their brain and talk to them a little bit. I mean, any of those guys will make you be a better teacher. Oh, yeah. Um, there's no doubt. And, and I am clearly a much better teacher now after meeting all of those people and networking. And I, I think that to me is just the biggest thing. I think the number one thing teachers really need to do and you don't have to do it every single year, but get out there and network. You know, every two, three, four years, something like that. Get out there and network. Go to a conference like this. Meet new people. Learn new ideas. Um, see different ways to do things. And it's just huge. It, it, and it's good, I think, even for the soul a little bit, too. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're doing some the same activity year after year after year, kind of like, it shows to the students, too. Yeah, it's the 20th time I've done this lab, you know. All right, you know. <laughs> And so to kind of find a new twist and a new way of doing things just rejuvenates the teacher. And I think that passion comes through in the classroom and obviously transcends the students. Um, But I just that to me is just one of the number one things to do as a teacher is get to a conference like this that's so focused on your content and what you can do in your own classroom. It's so spot on. And uh, that's that's what was huge for me. Yeah, the I mean, you named you named a handful of my favorite people. Um, <laughs> I'm a little guarded and jealous because you know, like, uh, like I'm like I don't want other people hanging out with Ryan because I'm going to St. hang out with Ryan Reardon. <laughs> Ryan Reardon, Ryan Reardon, because I and it was funny and I, I I had this moment when I was out in L.A. Um, this past year. I went to the I, I wasn't able to go to NABT last year, um, which I was really bummed about. And I know you missed NABT last year too. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I did have the opportunity to go to the NSTA in LA. Um, and it worked out really well that I was able to do it. And it wasn't, it wasn't super cost, uh, costly, even though it was flying across the country and all that stuff, I was able to offset it in a few different ways. And so I went out there and, um, yeah, I got to hang out with Paul and Ryan quite a bit. I got to watch him present. And, um, you know, there was this moment where I was sitting out and I was out at dinner <laughs> and I'm sitting there and across the table from me, it, it, I'm having a conversation with Lee Ferguson and sitting next to me is Ryan Reardon diagonally across the table is Paul Strode. And I'm like, how the hell did I end up at this table? Like, this is <laughs> awesome. And, you know, you'd think, you know, like you're out, you're eating, you're hanging out, you know, you're just a bunch of grown ups hanging out. And we are talking. It is like nine o'clock on a Friday. 
And what are we talking about? We're talking about what we do with kids. <laughs> we're talking right, about yeah. like, like we are such losers, but we're all the same kind of losers <laughs> that we're hanging yeah, out. And we're hanging out, having beers, eating dinner. And like, and, but they, the best thing about it is um, you go and you talk to these teachers who do the same job you do, but they do it so differently than, than the way you do it. And they have mm-hmm. solved the same problems you have struggled to solve, but they solved them in totally different ways. Um, right. And um, I, even today, I, I found myself sort of channeling a little bit of Paul Strode when somebody, like when people were talking to me about their grades and whether or not we should do category points versus total points. And all I had in my head was, was Paul Strode saying, <laughs> why are you making the kids compete for points? The points don't right. matter. <laughs> and, you know, before I had met him, you know, I'd read some of the stuff about standards-based grading, but it was through the conversations with him that it really sparked about why it's important to communicate with kids and check in with kids. And the points are not in the important part. It's the feedback and the communication and, you know, helping kids get beyond chasing points and getting to that metacognition point. So, um, yeah. And so the other thing I would say, sort of, as you were saying, like, I think there's a degree of some, like when I go to conferences, like my, I think of myself in like 1999, it's Boston NSTA and I had the big giant book and I was going around and those conferences were enormous. And they were about, as you said, about every type of science, not just there. I don't know that I talked to a lot of other teachers. Like I was just kind of like going to the workshops that I went to and I don't, I think I was sort of a little bit in my own like world. I was such a young teacher. I didn't know better. Um, I think the last few conferences I've gone to, I have had so many long conversations. I've struck up conversations with a lab partner that I'm sitting with where I'm making the yeast spheres. I sit, I don't, I, if I even have them with a teacher from my school and that one, the last one I went to was in Providence. That was actually the only NABT I went to, but I went to in Providence and I had other teachers there and I intentionally didn't sit with them. Like for all of the conferences, some of the workshops I went to without people so I could sit with somebody different and sit at the lab table and do that and then strike up a conversation and get to know the people around um, and also connect with some people from around the country who you've heard of or you saw at a workshop mm-hmm. five years ago or or that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, those those unstructured times are just as important as the, the workshops. Um, yeah. And I would have to say, I think if someone goes there in their first time or something like that, they, they do want to kind of stick their neck out there a little bit and meet some people if they can. I probably similar to you, I, I had the fortunate time of, you know, the very first session I went to in Cleveland at NABT was one of Paul's workshops. And, and I'll be honest with you, the funny story was, is he was with us for a couple of days in Paris beforehand. And then he was running the first session that morning at NABT. I wasn't going to, I wasn't planning on going to his workshop. I was going to go to another one. I don't remember what the other one was now, but I said, well, I've already seen Paul's workshop. I'm going to go to something else now. Well, I ran into him in the hotel. He was running up to his room to get something. And he said, hey, right? And I kind of looked at him like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. He goes, I need someone in the room that I know. <laughs> I said, okay, no problem. So I ended up I waited for him to come back down the elevator. We walked into the workshop together. And as I'm, I'm, I'm seeing Bob Kuhn in the room, people I see on Twitter, yeah. but I'd never met in person. You know, like you and I at this point, we've never met in person now. Um, and I can't wait to meet you here in a month or so. But <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm, I'm looking around, I'm seeing, you know, Bob Kuhn and, and David Knufke and Chi Klein and so on and so forth. All these people I see on Twitter all the time and, and admire and think these are just amazing teachers and amazing people. Um, just put me out there right right away at the beginning of the presentation and introduced me. <laughs> um, so that, you know, I'm <laughs> saying like, 
awkward, you know, <laughs> but, but that helped me make connections with people. All of a sudden people walking up to me throughout the conference and saying, you know, Hey, you're the guy that was talking to Paul or had Paul at the school. So it just kind of opened up some conversations and helped kind of break down some barriers. But I think that whole, you know, if you go there and you're a brand new teacher, you've never been to NABT before, you just need to be able to, don't be shy, just go out there and really try to uh, meet some people and, and make some connections. Yeah. So, so any new teacher can walk right up to Kevin. <laughs> you can walk right up to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. No problem. We will welcome you. We are. We're, show you the way. We're at least the least intimidating people there. Um, but no, I'll, honestly, everybody is, everyone is so nice. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's so many things that, that, that you kind of get out of those, those connections. And, um, I, like you suggesting that, or Paul suggesting that he wasn't going to know anybody in the room is hysterical, um, in 2014, but, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, as you were talking though, about sort of those experiences, um, and I, you know, I've had a couple of similar experiences where I'm going to workshops with people who I, who I've gotten to know and respect online before I got a chance to be face to face. And, and then you get a chance to go to see them face to face and you already have, they, you already have a little bit of a rapport with them from working online. And then immediately within that room, they're talking and they're, you know, like they're interacting with you and you have this sort of degree of credibility in the room because of the relationship you built online. And I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but for me, like as a teacher, um, like it's made me a more confident teacher. Like it, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much that we do that's tentative. There's so much like, or, or I should say this, we have choices as a teacher. You could pull that same lab that you've been doing for the last 20 years that's not quite as exciting. But you could stick your neck out a little bit and try something that's a little harder and a little bit daring and like may not work and you're not sure how the kids are going to react. And as you get more confident, it's like totally cool to like saying, you know, I'm going to try this thing and it may or may not work. But you know what? I know that so-and-so has done this. And they thought it was a pretty cool lab. So I'm going to try it. And if we fail, that's science and that's fine. And we're going to learn from it. And we're going to get better next year. But I have confidence that we can grow forward. And I think it pro- you are allowed to project a degree of not that sort of false confidence you do your first couple of years of teaching where you're like, oh, my God, I hope the kids don't know that I don't know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> but this actual genuine like, yeah, I got this kind of feeling. I think that other teachers have definitely given that to me. And that's been built through these conferences and this network thing, networking that I've done over the last you know few years in particular. So, um, yeah, I would agree. I think it's one of those things. Same thing. You know, if this lab works, it works. If it doesn't, oh, well, we're going to learn from it and figure out why it didn't work and go from there. But I don't get too panicked anymore if something if something fails. Yeah. Um, and I try to you know, try to teach that, obviously, the kids, too. But, yeah, I used to be in the same boat as you just so nervous about making sure that everything worked perfectly all the time. Um, but really it, it was, it's okay. If, if things kind of mess up and you kind of learn through failure and learn from those mistakes, that's, that's a better way of learning anyway. So yeah, I, I've learned a lot about that as well. Yeah. I had that, I had that, uh, that very funny, um, I don't know if it was posted, a, uh, like just over a year ago, I was, uh, I was featured in, uh, in quantum magazine, um, there was this article and they, they wanted to get a physics teacher, a math teacher, a, a middle school teacher and a life science teacher. And their life science writer is in Boston and is actually an AB grad. Um, and it was the year after I had won my OBTA. And so she was mm-hmm. like, perfect. I'll come to, you know, she came out to the school and she followed me around for a few days and we talked and, um, and I, you know, she talked a lot about the process and the process, the, the heading under my write-up was failure. <laughs> 
<laughs> which, which I read the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, all right, failure, Aaron Matthew. All right, good. <laughs> every, put that on your corkboard in your classroom, right? <laughs> every little kid's dream, you know. Uh, but honestly, like, I didn't take it as, like, uh, an insult. Like, honestly, it was really good. Like, I was really happy. And it turned out that most of the quotes and the videos that they had made and all of the other stuff about me was talking about how important it is to help kids learn that science is this iterative process where, like, you fail way more often then you succeed, but you learn from those setbacks and you learn from that, you know, you learn from all of those, those times that things don't go the way you thought they would go. Um, that is so much more enlightening into your intellectual, you know, processes. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely think every time I hear about failure, which I've like completely embraced as a <laughs> part of who I am. <laughs> Aaron Matthew, failure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, but it, it, as I said, it's it, it's great, and I uh, I wear it proudly. Um, <laughs> but I, it's it's funny. I have a couple of girls now taking uh, AP Bio who um, they were freshmen a couple of years ago, and they didn't have me when this article came out. But that my picture from that article is in their email signature. Um, <laughs> And they were emailing me last year, just random things. And I noticed that my picture, I, I'm hoping it's not in their regular email signature. And they were just adding it for when they were emailing me. But there's a couple of girls I have in class right now who uh, who included that. Uh, it, I had more than one email that had my picture from that article attached to it in their emails to me. So uh, kids, the kids are awesome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I love their sense of humor. Yeah. It's so great. They're, they are great. Um, all right. So... Uh, so, I mean, I, we have so much that we're going to get excited about in a little bit more than a month when we go to St. Louis. But just sort of in broad speaking, you know, uh, I know you're working on a lot of stuff with your classes. What are you really looking forward to in your classroom, you know, both short term and in the next few years? Well, yeah, some of the things um, that I've been thinking about here, um, you know, for me, you know, just those relationships with students. Every single year I meet new students they just amaze me in some way. There's some unique talent that they have. I mean, I've got some kids that are just absolute at, great athletes. They're good artists. They're great actors and actresses and musicians. Just to kind of see all the different things that they do and kind of creating those relationships with your with your new group of students every single year is always something I look forward to and get excited about. Um, but I guess I'm just kind of curious as to really like what will transition in the classroom be? Um, when I started teaching, I don't know about you, but I didn't even have a class or I didn't even have a, a computer in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious now that we have him, all our kids are one-to-one -one now. They have these MacBook, um, air laptops, which is really, really nice. We're, we're spoiled, but that's how the classroom is. I'm kind of curious, you know, 10 years from now, what, what it's going to look like. But I think the, one of the other things too, that I'm really thinking about a lot and we've touched on a little bit is this whole grade list thing. You know, Paul's article that he wrote, Paul Strode, um, I shared that. I'm on a committee at our school district right now about changing the way we grade things mm. to reduce that point grab mentality. Um, and I'm curious, I think in five to 10 years, what's it going to look like in that classroom? How am I going to assess my students? Um, and will it all be standards based? Will it be grade list where we are doing all these, all the feedback and everything? Um, I've shared Paul's article with a lot of people and uh, they're all 
interested and curious about the whole thing. So I think those are a couple big things in my classroom. And we'll, you know, again, one meeting new students and seeing how their interests and things change over the years, because that's always number one for a teacher, right? Your, your kids, just working with those kids and getting to know them. But uh, again, I think that, you know, the technology, how's that technology going to change over the years? And then, you know, what about that whole mentality in the classroom too, about grades and GPA and all that versus just learning and being mm -hmm. curious and, and having that kind of passion or motivation or drive to, to learn and be a better person and can cultivate that lifelong learner mentality that you really want out of all your kids. Um, I'm just curious to see where that'll go in a few years. And I think um, we've got a pretty progressive school district. I'm really fortunate where I work. And I think they're very interested in looking at some of these options as far as grading goes. So I'm kind of excited to see where that's going to go down the line. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really, um, I am not in a school that's one-to-one. And I wouldn't say that we are like a not progressive, but I would not call us, we're not like a super conservative district in the sense that um, we are tr super traditional in everything. I think the mm -hmm. uh, the winds of change um, are, are blowing through, but um, it's not, it, you know, we're a school of 2000. And as I say, you know, sometimes it takes a long time for a big ship to change direction. Right, <laughs> uh, right. And, uh, and we're a big, you know, a lot of the conversations that you just brought up, you know, the role of technology, the role of grades, you know, types of assessment and feedback and all of those. Um, I'm actually on a committee in my school that looks at um, instruction, assessment and workload. Um, mm -hmm. And we're having really good conversations about that. But it's they definitely feel like beginnings of conversations um it feels like right. that we're having a lot of beginnings of conversations um and not everyone's in the same headspace um and there's definitely people who are very happy with what they do and how they teach and are slightly threatened by the prospect of change um, and they by the way they're good at what they do they're enthusiastic about what they do they have passion for what they do they're very effective in the system that they're working the question would be, what's the longevity of that? Is it sort of still the teacher-centered model? You know, does it have roots? Is it flexible? You know, those types of things. And I, I can totally understand they're feeling threatened about it. And I do think there's there's room for every teacher to grow in how they teach, that there's not one way to teach, mm -hmm. but not necessarily every person who's communicated about change has done so in the most respectful way to the way that everyone does their work. So mm -hmm. we're having very good initial slow conversations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm it, it, those, all of those things that you tick, I, I hear, I hear and I hear little conversations, but as I said, I, I don't know how big your school is. I know Ohio schools tend not to be tiny, but yeah, we're our high school sixteen hundred now. Yeah, yeah. And we're growing, we're growing like crazy, but we're about sixteen hundred now. Yeah, and we're we peaked out around two thousand, and we're actually starting to shrink. Um, so we're we're probably going to project down just under nineteen hundred when all said and done, when, uh, when we settle out. But, um, yeah, and I know also you know you're talking about you introducing AP. I don't know if where your academics balance in your school is, um, but for our school we are like super high powered academic, you know, the four year college drive, Ivy League drive of those 2000 mm -hmm. students, they're mostly planning on going to four year schools and they're planning on going to big schools. And like, it's a, it's a pretty driven community and change in a community like that when there's, you know, perceived historical success, changing a, a school that has, you know, a long history of success is, is another, 
another confounding factor that makes that hard. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know a lot of the parents, their drive might be scholarships and scholarship mm-hmm. money and those sorts of things. And there are a lot of high stakes things, that's for sure. I think we we probably in pretty similar communities in that regard. Um, a lot of our school, a lot of our kids go to these four year universities around here in Ohio as well. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think every staff has those groups of teachers, some that are willing to jump on board right away, some that are a little hesitant, some that like to maybe avoid change, mm-hmm. but, uh, but they're doing what works. And, and I, I you know, I, I do think it takes all kinds to really make, make it all succeed. And, um, you know, I, I've heard it before. I don't know if it was Bob Kuhn or maybe David or somebody who talked about, um, you know, they'd hate to see one type of assessment system for an entire school or school system or something like that. Because, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's really like to teach art and mm-hmm. how I need to assess that. Um, or, or even, you know, an English class down the hall or something like that. I, I, I can tell you about science, but mm-hmm. I'm no expert maybe when it comes to those other areas. And, and, and I feel the same way. We're having these conversations and about grading and it's, I don't feel like it's really going anywhere yet. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's, and it's, again, it's a group of people that would like to pursue change or like to see something different. They're open to it. Um, but then, yeah, what happens when you start to push some of these ideas out there and are they going to meet resistance and, and things like that? But, uh, you know, we're very in the early stages of that for sure. And um, a lot of ideas, but I think it's going to take a long time before anyone really reaches any kind of resolution and let's go forward with this system or anything like that. It's going to be a while. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're, you're looking forward is, is, uh, is intriguing. And I think, uh, I think most people can see the same things, you know, um, I don't know if the correct word would be marinating, but we're biologists. Maybe we should say all those ideas are fermenting. Those all those ideas <laughs> yeah, are right. they're they're in the vat. They're fermenting, and uh, maybe, maybe we took good care of our yeast, and we'll get we'll get something nice at the end, or maybe we'll get vinegar. So um, <laughs> it all depends on how we teach it. I just brought full circle back to your micro. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right. So when you're not in the classroom, when you're not teaching, what do you like to do? Yeah. Well, we, I know we we talked about the Cleveland Indians earlier. I'm like. I don't, I don't follow too many professional sports anymore. I like, you know, NBA, NFL, things like that. And I, um, but baseball has just always been a thing for us. And, uh, so yeah, we, we follow the the Cleveland Indians quite a bit. Um, both my kids are involved in that. Um, um, my, my oldest played for a long time. He's now in college. And, um, I, I think the interesting story with him, he's majoring in biology at Cincinnati and he's working in a lab. Uh, of Zalfa uh, Abdel Malik's uh, lab that okay. was featured in Biology of Skin Color uh, for HHMI's movie a couple of years ago from the university. I met her at uh, Providence at that uh, NABT and helped make a connection. And he's working in her lab now. So, I, so every now and then I kind of chit chat with Zalfa and everything. And uh, he's loving it. He's he's loving life down there. My youngest son, I just enjoy watching him. He's playing baseball and doing cross country. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in cross country season right now and absolutely loving it. And the culture on that team and the kids that he's with is just awesome. And um, but baseball is really his passion. So you know he he also just wrapped up fall ball. So he's been playing. Mm-hmm. He's been running cross country meets on Saturdays and double headers on Sundays. So it's been pretty busy around yeah. here lately. But just to kind of just have fun with him and doing all those sorts of things. 
Um, my wife and I've been married for about 23, 24 years. I should probably know that. Offhand, but uh, <laughs> she don't, yeah. I, don't worry. Unless she, there's no way she listens. Um, no, she, no, she doesn't. <laughs> my wife doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've got a dog and a cat. We're just a typical, you know, typical family with the two kids, the dog and a cat and everything. It's just enjoy spending time with them. And, uh, and then we have a lot of parks around here too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of farmland out here. So it's a little different from probably where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like where you're at, you probably have a lot more wooded areas and things like that. But uh, we've got some wooded areas, but it's more uh, floodplains and, and farmland and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. We have old, we have really old farmland such that like, you know, when you're running through the trails, there's a random stone wall and you're like, huh, there used to be a farm here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a part of the country I'd love to visit at some point. I, I've never really been up in the New England states and I've tried yeah. to get our family to visit there. But I think that's part of the country that would just be beautiful, especially this time of year coming up with the fall yeah. and it's got to be gorgeous. Yeah, it's quite, it's nice now. It's uh it's quite nice in the summer. Um, you know, it's, it's been a weird, it's been a weird season. We were talking before, you know, it's been weird fall so far, but yeah, October is, October is a pretty awesome month generally. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I know you've run quite a bit in the past too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have that in common, but like October is just like one of those months where the, t- the temperature's perfect. Um, you know, it's like 50, <laughs> like to me, like 50 yeah. degrees is like perfect temperature. I'll, I'll take 50 <laughs> degrees. Like all, if I could get 50 degrees all year long, I'd get it. But, um, yeah, I was, I was doing this past Saturday I uh, or past Sunday. I went and did my long run and, uh, I, I went out, I didn't go out quite early enough, but, um, I, I did, I did 12 miles when I got home. It was, it was like 83 degrees. And I was like, it's, mm. it's almost October. Like, how is it? 80s? Right. <laughs> Shouldn't exactly. it be in October weather? Shouldn't it be in the sixties right now? Uh, but no, it was, it's awfully hot, but yes, we are uh, where I live is, uh, particularly wooded. I live in the, in the central part of Massachusetts and I live on the ascent up to, uh, close to Mount Wachusett, which is a small little ski area in central mass mm. and, uh, lots of conservation land. Um, I can peek out my back window right behind, well, I behind my back window is perfectly dark right now, but if it was light, uh, right behind my house is conservation land and just wooded area and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, very, very wooded and pretty soon it will be very bright. Uh, the leaves are definitely changing, even though we've had this weird hot spell, but, um, in about a week, it's going to be bright yellow and orange and reds everywhere. So just, just around when the time this episode comes out. So (laughs) hopefully it doesn't skip right into brown, brown from uh, that. Sometimes when we have these warm seasons, we skip a lot of those lovely fall colors and jump right into brown leaves. So hopefully we get a couple couple weeks of nice, nice weather. Oh, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) All right. So before we get to picks of the week, uh, do you have any questions for me? Um, yeah. Let me see if I can, um, what do you think your classroom is going to look like in 10 to 20 years? I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, but, uh, you know, do any teachers, I guess that in your school do standards-based grading already, how do you assess things? But also what do you think about this online movement? I, I think I see a lot more schools, um, starting to focus on online curriculums. I've spent the last three summers here in Ohio it where we've built a biology curriculum online which kind of scares me a little bit because I feel like I'm outsourcing myself. Um, but, uh, you know, where do you, you know, I, one of my questions, I've really got two questions. One, where do you stand with me with standards-based grading and those sorts of things? Where do you, how do you see yourself assessing your students in the future? 
but also what do you think about the whole online component of education? Where do you think that's going to take us? I mean, I've got about 15 years till I retire. I'll have <laughs> probably 38 years in before I can actually retire. Um, I don't know about you or you're at. I think we're pretty similar. Pretty similar. This is year 22 for me. So uh, I'm, I'm okay, in a very yep. similar boat. Um, yeah. So uh, it's interesting because uh, believe it or not, about 12 years ago, I was actually teaching a section of an online course at my high school. Um, I was maybe a little ahead of my time. Um, in fact, I can tell you for my school, I was definitely ahead of my time. Um, there was, mm -hmm. we offered a couple of different online courses. Um, our AP Enviro teacher also did an online class that met, it was a hybrid. It met once a week, one evening a week, but all of the other classes met online. Um, and I did a bioethics elective, which was a semesterized elective online. And, um, I will tell you that it took way more time and effort and energy to teach 15 students online than it did to teach 30 live in a room every day um, to teach mm -hmm. it that way. Now, this predates like MOOCs, things like edX. Um, uh -huh. And so I think when you ask about online classes or online content, I still think that for the vast majority of students, particularly the age group that we deal with, most of them is, are best served by having an adult that they connect with at some time on a regular basis. I agree and so completely. even if we bring in a suite of a lot of extra tools, so whether it's be, you know, videos, you know, a flip blended model, that sort of thing, the com combination of the content we teach, which is lab based, where you need to get your hands on mm -hmm. stuff, you have to deal with living things. And the fact that we deal with adolescents who need to have that human connection. I, I can view this movie, maybe moving to a more flexible model of time, but I, I still think that there's going to have to be for most adolescents, you know, a physical person, physical room to learn science. Like I just, mm -hmm. I just don't see how you would completely get away from that. Um, now in terms of how we teach and the content based component, I think that the online tools are radically going to change that. So whether that means, you know, you know, much more in the way of videos are hardcore, you know, hardbound textbooks, a thing of, you know, a dinosaur that's going to disappear. Um, are we going to be using online open source things like, uh, you know, CK 12 or, um, or that type of resource, you know, resources that have, um, well, you know, open stacks, you know, mm -hmm. resources like that where, you know, for a, a limited fee, a low fee, or or in some cases completely open source and free, are we going to be seeing models like that where a lot of those resources are going to change and the content focus is going to shift? I think that something like that is more likely on the, on the horizon. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> whether that will happen in the next 15 years, um, only time will tell. I, as I said, 12 years ago, I thought we would be ready for online classes. And while I thought I had certain students who were really, really ready for that, the, the number of students who were ready for it, particularly teenagers was, was not there. And the infrastructure of our school and our school district wasn't prepared to really support that. So I, I don't know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know technology where, where all of those pieces come together, where both the grownups and the adolescents and all of those pieces will come together on there. I do think that some classes could be moved to a, a heavily online system, but I do think that that connection and that human connection and that being in a physical space is going to be important. Um, and then in terms of the standards-based grading, um, you know, I definitely think that having students, having a clear sense of objectives and clear sense of standards is 
uh, crucial to them learning and understanding their learning. And that unlike the system which we grew up in, where you mm -hmm. went to school and there were, you had to do textbook stuff and then the teacher lectured and then a couple of weeks later you got tested on the stuff that you were told. Um, at least that was my experience. And right. most, here. most people who have a science background, that's the majority of how you learned. The pre presentation of content directly and the assessment being a little bit of a black box, I think those days um, they should be over. I don't think they are, um, but the, those days are soon to be very over. As we get better at communicating to students about standards and as they get better at communicating back to us, we're going to see a, a better understanding of what uh, of how to how to talk about assessment. I think that's the case. Um, while I think standards-based grading has a huge benefit, um, I know for my students, they're still learning how to deal with being communicated, having standards communicated to them, <laughs> as weird as that sounds. Um, no, it's true. Yeah. In fact, this today, um, my students, I have, I'm going to give them a test in a couple of days. Um, I gave them homework. I wanted them to tell me the two or three standards from the, the, the learning objectives for the unit that we're doing that were least clear to them at this point, two to three. Now, most students identified two or three, and I was able to go through and flag there. I had students say, like, most of this entire section. I had some students who listed the four broad categories. I had some students who listed nine <laughs> objectives. Like, <laughs> like the, the, I think they don't know how to communicate about And a lot of these are freshmen. It's like the first time they've even been given a standards document. So yeah. I think as they learn how to deal with these documentations and as we learn what is effective communication of standards with them and how to put things in student-friendly language and how to get to that point, the system is going to change. And we'll, we don't know what that system, what that looks like right now. Um, mm -hmm. But we're going to get there. And I think um, there will be changes that are there, but I don't feel like I have a prescribed idea of what that's going to look like. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes that can be a little scary, you know, because you don't, you don't know what the outcome is really going to look like or really exactly where it's going to go. And that can be, that can be a little nerve wracking at times, yeah. but, uh, but I agree. I think, I, I think that whole system of having the students kind of understand, you know, what skills, what tasks, what objectives and so on, they really need to understand and be able to, explain those uh, to know exactly this is what you need to know what you don't need and so on it just really clarifies everything and mm -hmm. i think that just streamlines everything it just makes so much more sense i'm I, i'm getting closer and closer um to, to trying to implement that in my own class and we do have teachers in our science department that are doing standards-based grading but uh, the biology teachers have not taken that dive yet yeah. we've been working on modeling and and, the, and some other things but um uh, we just haven't haven't taken that leap just yet, but uh, it's soon. That's for sure. Um, I would say that I am, I am Trojan horsing all of the infrastructure in to go to standards based grading if the opportunity arises. We mm -hmm. have I have clear standards um, that are written out that are given to students in advance. Um, this year we've moved so that every homework assignment that we give is linked to a set of standards. Mm -hmm. Um. And it is the lens with which we communicate to one another as fellow biology teachers mm -hmm. about the quality of our assessments, about questions that are fair, about questions that are not, about activities. It is the lens through which we view our curriculum. And it is the 
it is the mirror we use for reflection. I'm going to like analogy us to death here. Uh, but like, but no, seriously, like when we look at an activity and we pull it up and we're like, oh, I really like this activity. And then I have to say, all right, which of these standards do I hit by doing this activity? If I can't, if it's just like a thing I like to do, but it doesn't hit the standards, I either got to go back and convince everybody we got to rewrite our standards because mm-hmm. this thing I think we're doing is really valuable and we should be doing. Or I got to say, yeah, I like it, but it doesn't help us you know, it doesn't help us with the teaching and learning of students. We came to an agreement of what's important and this thing doesn't really hit enough of those. So mm-hmm. either we need to like change the framing on it or we got to say, I love this thing, but it's got to go away. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's changed our conversations about curriculum a lot over the last few years. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're, we're in that place, but at the same time, I still give tests um, and I still, you know, those tests are based off the standards, but it's not standard-based grading. It's, it's still a step away. Now, do you have time built into your day or anything where you get to meet with those other teachers? How many other biology teachers do you have? Uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Uh, I happen to be fortunate that, okay, so we have four honors bio teachers um, okay. that I currently teach and two AP teachers. And the one of those AP teachers is also um, one of the honors bio teachers. And I am fortunate this year in that I have a, a common free period with all of them. <laughs> Oh, that's good. At some point, but not all together. So like me and one of them has a common period, except for when I have AP lab in the morning, which is really useful because uh, she's the newest member of our team. And it's good because we get to communicate about that. She also has a free period with a different member of our team, one of her other periods. So that's good. So she's using both of us as a resource there. And then I have another free period off with the other two that's later in the day if we're not, you know, running around like crazy uh, yeah so there so we don't ever really have that group time but we are able to play a little telephone and communicate and you know we like the kids use we text we send you know message we you know uh, we don't snapchat but we uh yeah <laughs> but we but we do communicate as a group about content and about questions and about methods and you know we do we, we do have a pretty robust conversation but it is very catch as catch can and I, you know you know, it's like in the middle of the year, there'll be there'll be gaps and there'll be windows where it'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't communicate that as effectively as I should or, you know, <laughs> oh, well, or that. And fortunately, I'm teaching with a group of very competent teachers who are good enough to go, yeah, I think this is what we're supposed to be doing. And they'll be close enough <laughs> that yeah. we're all able to clean it up and, and vice versa. If it's somebody else's brainchild I'm running up, I, I know enough about why we're doing it. I know enough about the objectives to make the thing that we're doing work. Um, and again, that's part of the joy of having learning objectives is that when you get in the middle of something and you're like, what's really important here? Uh, this, this is one of our core learning objectives for this unit. Let's make sure we're, we're ticking those boxes. And so. Yeah. To be able to connect it to something. That's, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's a huge value. Um, so yeah, I, if you haven't sitting, if you're a biology teacher and you haven't sitting down, uh, sit, sat down and write, written out like a roadmap or a curriculum arc or, or learning objectives, um, it's a pain in the ass to do, uh, <laughs> but, um, but it will, it, it is to me of all of the things I've done in the last 10 years, you know, all that is probably the thing that's probably been the most transformative of my practice because it's the, it's the anchor to all the stuff we do. Yeah. So. Yeah. It really helps you understand that framework, especially if it's AP bio, you talk about the yeah. curriculum framework. It just really br- brings, it makes, makes complete sense and, and helps you tell a story throughout the year. And, and like I said, be able to connect it to things so that you always know, okay, this is about this, this learning objective here. This is what's connected to, um, it just, 
just makes so much more sense than if you're just randomly teaching concepts and um, it just kind of went from one direction to another and just didn't really follow a pattern or a story or anything like that. I think it's, I think it's important to make, make that more organized and that's what helps with that. Well, and the other thing is the kids are, the kids are going to make us, they're going to make up a story about your curriculum. And that story may be the coherent story arc that you have created or (laughs) it's going to be the coherent, it's going to be the story they make up. And by the way, sometimes that story is, I don't know where this is going or this (laughs) is is, right, but a lot of times that's wrong. (laughs) This is totally unrelated or like, I don't know what this is like. And I talk to kids, I, you know, I talk to kids all the time and they like, I sometimes stop and that's one of the things I've done with them this year is like every, I've been doing a lot more check-ins and I like, like sometimes when they walk in, I got like a little question. It's like, do you understand this? And I, I have like different colored popsicle sticks. I have green, red and yellow popsicle sticks. And if they think they totally get it, I want them to put a green popsicle stick in the jar. If they think they kind of get it, but they're not hundred percent sure. And I want a yellow. And if they don't get it, I want a red. Um, and then if I see like, there's a bunch of reds in there, or if it's like a bunch of yellows, like that's the thing I'm starting with. Like, mm-hmm. I, that, like, and so I've, I've done that a couple of times and most of the time, like I'm, I'm doing a good job, but there was one time I thought, I thought it was going well. And I'm like, ah, I should, I had a kid ask me a weird question. And I was like, that was kind of a weird question. I wonder if that's just that one kid or if there's like confusion around this assignment. So sure enough, I put the question next day and there, like, the jar was like, like it was yellow and red. And I was like, there was like two green pot. I was like, all right, apparently we need to, I thought I could explain this yesterday, but let's start over again because <laughs> yeah. uh, let's do that. So again, checking in with kids and, and communicating about standards is super important. And, um, and that's, that's good stuff. All right. I think we have gotten to picks of the episode. Uh, Kevin, what do you got for pick of the episode? Yeah, for me, um, something that's been happening in the news around here lately, um, we've been talking a little bit about the the warm weather we've had. Uh, today, we hit 92, and I think this was the fifth or sixth day in a row we were over 90. Wow. Um, so I think that also broke a record to have that kind of a string in September. But um, our, one of our big problems around here is in Lake Erie, especially on the western end of Lake Erie, and then the Maumee River, which goes through downtown Toledo, um, we have a huge algae bloom. Mm. And uh, it's been going on for several years uh, to the point where, uh, you know, kind of made national news in 2014 where we had a water crisis and people couldn't drink the water around here. Um, the bloom that we have now that's going on out in the lake and also in the Maumee River. I mean, we look down Chicago on St. Patrick's Day right now. The whole Maumee River is just bright green in color, but it's all algae. It wasn't done with a dye. Um turning what's happening and and for the great lakes around here it's just that's a huge industry fishing industry and things like that that brings a lot of people to our area for tourism fishing charter boats you know you name it um and uh if if the lake gets really sick um that's that's huge to our economy but obviously Mm -hmm. you know you don't want that to happen naturally um so that's one of the big things around here lately And, and what's really helped is help the algae hurt us but help the algae is that We've had this extended fall, as we were talking about. It's still warm here, and we haven't really had those cooler temperatures. And so the algae just keep getting, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I know we're we're close to changing the the, the weather pattern here, but um, but that's really kind of uh, exaggerated the problem for sure. And uh, the other big concern out of that is in the proposed budget right now through President Trump is a ninety seven percent cut to the Great Lakes. 
Mm. Um, so a lot of the research that goes on to kind of fund this and try and figure out what's really going on, how do we solve it and so on and so forth. Um, a lot of that funding money is going to go away and that's really scary. Um, this end of the lake, like I said, we have a lot of farmland here. So a lot of it's just the nitrogen runoff mm. that's going through the ditches and streams and, and so on and getting out into the Maumee river and Lake Erie. And that's, what's causing it. But, uh, yeah, it's just getting really nasty right now. And a lot of people don't like to drink the water. Um, and I don't blame them. Uh, you know, so people are bringing a lot of bottled water to school. We, we're starting to put filters in on our drinking fountains so that people just refill their bottles there, um, have filtered yeah. water, which is nice. But um, it's just kind of scary the way that's been going on these last few years. There doesn't seem to be any end in sight with this right now. So I don't know where the future goes with this, but that's my kind of my pick of the week and, and what's been going on here locally anyway. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, one of those lessons that you can definitely bring in, you know, the eutrophication, uh, limiting nutrient factors. I mean, these are, you, you can tick back, tick through my learning objectives for my ecology unit. You, you tick through three or four of those things. So, um, yeah, yeah, I might, uh, steal a, steal a picture from here tomorrow. Um, <laughs> when I'm reviewing, yeah. uh, yeah. cause you know, I definitely talk about nitrogen cycle and how humans disrupt it. Um, and, and this is one of those down, downstream, literally downstream consequences of, uh, of those nitrogen components. And, yeah, the remediation question's hard. Like that's it's not an it's not a quick and easy remediation with waterways that big. Right. No, and that much farmland and everything and yeah. just, you know, trying to get everyone to agree, hey, maybe let's reduce how much fertilizer we put down and so on and you know, I am not an expert farmer or anything like that, but uh, you know, trying to reach a compromise with everybody and it's 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 a monumental task. It's a lot of people and a lot of area. Um, to try and get everybody on the same page. And that's obviously not easy to do. It's hard to get people in your own school building on the same page with a lot of things, let alone yeah. several communities or counties and things like that. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's it's not going to be an easy fix. That's for sure. All right. Hopefully that, uh, hopefully that some, some sensible, uh, some sensible regulations come about as a result. I, unfortunately, you know, sometimes things have to get real bad, you know, real bad where people, people will get up in arms about it before they but they do something but it sounds like you're you're close to that point yeah yeah definitely there have been some discussions that's for sure i think in the last couple of years they've had several meetings in the area about this um but and i think uh hopefully this is sounding an alarm with people again right now okay yeah uh, making it an urgent issue yeah uh, hopefully yeah all right. Well, my pick is uh, it's going to come across. It's it's awkwardly self-serving. Um, so I'm going to start. I'm going to go broader first, uh, and I'm going to say this. Uh, my pick of the episode is is Patreon. Um, so here we are. Uh, we'll see how many people listen to the end of my episodes. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I thought about putting this early on, but I decided not to. Uh, so yeah, Patreon. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, if you do not know what Patreon is, Patreon is a a service where. Um, you can give money directly to creators, um, and there's a lot of different Patreons. So, for example, we mentioned John Darko earlier. Um, if you are a fan of John Darko, um, if you like... You should be. Which you should be. <laughs> if you don't know who John Darko is, um, you stop, Google, J-O-N, uh, uh, D-A-R-K-O-W. You'll find his simulations, and you'll thank us for it. Uh, and then yes. uh, if you maybe you've used his creations and used his simulations in class, and... You're like, oh, these are awesome. I bet you these take hours and hours to make. They do. Um, and so if you wanted to like kick him a couple bucks a month to help support his uh, bad hobby of making 
amazing uh, <laughs> simulations that we all get to use, uh, you can do that. You can go to his, his Patreon page and support him. Or or maybe you're a fan of uh, that Knufke guy in New York and uh, and some of his work. And, and maybe you're curious about what the transition's like from the classroom into the administration. And he's got this admin thoughts blog that he has. And you're like, huh, I'm glad he's doing that. And I'm glad for a lot of the resources he's provided. And maybe I want to kick a you know, a buck or two a month to him to help support his, you know, side ventures there. And sure enough, if you go, there's a Patreon for, for David Knufke and you can give him. And, and lastly, if uh, you enjoy this podcast, um, and you, you wanted to kick in a buck or two to help offset costs of, you know, hosting web pages or hosting media or buying microphones or that sort of thing. Uh, you can go to uh, Patreon uh, slash lots. Uh, it's actually uh Officially, I'm going to make sure I get my link uh, here correctly. It's patreon.com slash L-O-T-S, which is Life of the School. And that gets to my Patreon page. Uh, and the Patreon page will uh, will allow me to, you know, offset some of the costs in there. And then, you know, maybe if we get a bunch of people, it'll actually help me do some things like, you know, ship microphones out to guests so that they, you know, we can have consistent audio quality episode to episode um, and do that sort of thing. Um, if you decide to support, uh, to support any one of us um, at a fixed level um, on a monthly basis, any of the three of the people I've just mentioned, uh, you also will get an invite into a special community of Patreons who are going to have a Slack channel to discuss teaching and learning. So um, I was actually just in there today and Boy, you would you'd recognize some of those names. I think you threw the name Chi Klein out earlier. I saw Chi's name in there, and a few other uh, a few other notable uh, people in there. So, if you're interested in uh, supporting this this show or or either of those other people, I think they're totally worth uh, supporting for their work. I, I've been using John Simulations quite a bit, um, and uh, and. And Chief Agitator Knufke has done a lot to help push me out of my comfort zone from time to time. So like both both people doing great work with education. And, and uh, if you find any value out of this podcast, uh, I'm, I'm happy to happy to take any support people want to throw me. Um, and, I, and I appreciate it. So, all right, that's enough of my self-servingness. Uh, <laughs> well, it'll get my stamp of approval. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. highly recommend. Well, thanks. I, I, you heard unsolicited earlier uh, testimonials of all of those people uh, on this episode uh, from Kevin. <laughs> all right. So uh, so thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. And obviously, th- Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward. We're going to have to definitely uh, set some time up in uh, St. Louis to, to touch base. I know I'm, I'm going to be flying in, uh, flying in Thursday morning. Um, and then uh, I'm there Thursday, Friday, okay. Saturday, and then flying out Sunday morning. I'm not going to be there all Sunday, but I'm going to fly out Sunday morning so uh, to get back. Um, so definitely a couple of days to hang out. We'll definitely have to overlap there uh, with uh, 200 or so of our best friends of biology teachers. Uh, so yeah. there's a few hundred Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, let me get through my credits. Uh, sh- show notes are found at lifeofthschool.org uh, for this and every episode. Uh, you can subscribe to this on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, SoundCloud, really any place podcasts are found. Um, subscribing actually helps me quite a bit. Um, it actually helps people find the episode if you subscribe and or rate. Those are the first times I've said those words. All my podcasts I listen to say those, but it actually is true. If people subscribe and or rate the podcast, it actually helps in the little algorithms uh, bump me up and it'll help other educators find the podcast. So if you're willing to do that, uh, 
now that I'm uh, I'm shilling my Patreon, I'm gonna shill for everything at this point. Uh, <laughs> music for this and every episode are found uh, are provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Matthew Tweets um, or at Life of the School on Twitter. You can also follow at Kevin M English twenty five on Twitter to see what he's saying about. I'm sure he'll be uh, trash talking about the Indians uh, opponents coming up real soon. Uh, Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thank everyone for joining me, and I'll talk to everybody soon. Thank you.